podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's a maximum. Oh, it's brilliant. Taken away by Wicks. Let's see it. Oh, it's glorious. And it's Ward Prowse who strikes it. Bamford shot. Oh, brilliant. A Pogba. Oh, what a finish. Came out to him. Menez. Picked that one out. What a goal by Harry Kane. Saka, 2-0. Jesse Lingard, oh, thumping finish. The champions of 2021 are Manchester City. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, EPL Index proudly brings to you the best prediction podcast in the world, a tad predictable. With your host, Tariwa Chanakira, and his guest, Hello and welcome to episode 69 of A Tad Predictable. I usually start this show by saying it's game week one or game week two or game week 38. So it's a little bit different for me um, hosting a post-game podcast or a, a, a post-season podcast. But um, nonetheless, I'm very excited to be doing this podcast. Basically, we haven't been with you guys for a couple of weeks now. You know we do scoreline predictions for the English Premier League, but the season is over and we thought this would be a nice way to kind of ease our way back into the Premier League by doing basically a state of the nation address on a couple of clubs, see where they are, see what transfers they've done, see what further transfers they're expecting and kind of where their clubs are fitting in and where they're throwing their elbows in terms of next season and and what they're expecting. And look, there's no other better place to start when you're speaking of a state of the nation address than with a couple of guys in America. Um, I am joined by the American Scouser channel. I've got Timichin and Gally with me. Um, How are you guys doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having us on. Doing awesome. Uh, really appreciate the invite here and to uh, get to speak and uh, get to familiar with some of your listeners. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it's really exciting for us. As I mentioned, um, we're usually in the thick of it during the season, giving scoreline predictions. We've obviously got our Banquet or Burnet competition that goes on during the season. Giant trophies are awarded. Cash prizes are awarded as well for people that get their scoreline predictions in. I think it's like £300 from our awesome sponsors, but we will get to that when we get to it. But yeah, so we we are interested in not just obviously a state of the nation address, but a state of the nation of address has to do with a specific country, a specific nation. Now, we all know that football clubs in the UK, especially in England, are basically nations in themselves, right? If you look at the spending, they pretty much spend government money if you're talking about you know the 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 defense just man city alone the amount they've spent on their defense is probably the budget for many countries national defense systems so you know they're spending big bucks there but guys we're not starting with the now defending champions manchester city instead we're starting with a team that you know lost to them by one point was in it for the quadruple. Maybe a bit too soon to mention that Q word now. We'll, we'll hear from our guests what they think about that Q word. 
Um, but we will be starting with Liverpool Football Club. As I mentioned, American Scouser Channel. You, you heard it in the name, Scouser. Timichin, let's start with you because let, let's get some background for our um, listeners here. You know, Liverpool fan, how, how did that start? Well, I mean, mine is going to be a long journey thanks to my years on earth over here. But uh, I'm originally from Turkey, originally from Istanbul. Uh, so I grew up a Fenerbahce fan as my hometown club. Uh, my grandfather's actually is one of, Esat Kaner is one of, uh, Fenerbahce's all-time top players. I mean, if you look up in Wiki, actually he's on Fenerbahce's Wikipedia page, which I just recently found out myself, actually. Um, uh, my first, I mean, growing up, you don't get a lot of international games on TV. My first sight of Liverpool, where I started Kind of like liking the club, starting to find the club is like 1984 Rome. That final, the spaghetti legs, and especially as a kid, because I'm not that old, uh, as a kid, that was like just like fun to watch. It was just like exciting as heck. And I was like, I really like these guys. So I kept sporting them, following them more and more as I had more access to them. Uh, I lived in London for two years, for the first two years of college. Uh, so got really into the club, I think, a lot more then, because while you can follow a club from far away, sometimes being right there, meeting my best buddy in college was actually from Liverpool. So just find a lot more. As you find out, it's the type of club that the more you find out, the more you fall in love. And then came over to the States to finish up college. And that's kind of has grown up more and more. And as soccer becomes bigger in the U.S. over here, as the fans go up, I kind of wanted to find ways to connect with other fans in the U.S. because it can be lonely. Uh, it's getting better, but at the time, especially, it can be lonely. Uh, so started the American Scouser website, and we've grown a lot since. So it's been a fun ride, and Alps having a team that's really on the rise. That is fantastic. And cheap plug, guys. Go check out their website. Um, and I know we'll do bigger plugs later on, on in, in the podcast, but definitely go check out, uh, www.americanscouser.com. They do fantastic stuff there. Now, Gally, did you have a choice? Cause I've, I've heard a rumor, um, and, uh, you know, that you have some Irish blood in you. Did you have a choice whether you were a Liverpool fan or not? No, I, 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 I do have some Irish blood in me. Um, I'm what you'd call a hundred percent insane because I'm 50% Irish and 50% Italian. Um, <laughs> which ultimately means that these last two World Cups have basically been the rejection of me because Ireland would blow it. Italy would blow it. And heck, last time even the United States weren't there to make me miserable throughout a World Cup. Uh, but at least they'll be there to lose on my behalf come this <laughs> November. Um, I, I, didn't really have a choice. Believe it or not, I got into the sport as well, um, mid to late, you know, probably mid nineties. Um, and at that time in America to watch the EPL, you basically watch the FA Cup final on, uh, Wild World of Sports. Every maybe month, they would show half a soccer match or some highlights. I just gravitated to Liverpool as a club. Um, I like the city. I love the story. I'm a historian sports fan. I'm really big. I, at times, I've been a big baseball fan, a basketball fan, you know, American sports fan. And around 2010, uh, buddies of mine started to get into the EPL. I really got more engaged on a weekly basis at that point. Um, and I live here in New England. So when FSG purchased Liverpool in 2011, it was a real big deal. 
I knew that that would allow me here living outside of Boston to have more access. So I really reinvigorated myself. And it was probably, you know, as sad as it is, it was probably like the Aguero moment, watching it with a group, understanding relegation and promotion finally after two full years and all the cups and competitions that I really, really just fell in love with the sport. And I would say now I watch the EPL first, European soccer second, domestic soccer third, and then probably the NBA and the NHL. Um, and if I told anyone that grew up with me that the Boston Red Sox wouldn't be the most important thing in this, you know, little Irish Italian kid's mind, they would tell you I was crazy. And now that they know me, uh, I don't think they even ask me anything anymore if it isn't about Liverpool because they know it's basically first, second, and third on the depth chart these days. Yeah, and it, it, it's a pretty strong depth chart, if I have to say. Um, and look, it's a great transition in that, you know, you've gone from the Boston Red Sox, you've gone to a club that's also owned by the owners of the Boston Red Sox. It's perfect synergy. And, and, and speaking of perfect synergy, I mean, is there a more perfect synergy? You know, people might argue the, the, the Sane, Aguero, Sterling, um, maybe Damien Duff and Iron Robin with Didier Drogba or, you know, just trios in, in Premier League history. Um, there are plenty of duos. I mean, Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp, but um, just trios specifically. It seems like, and, and basically I'm trying to get into the, the, the nuts and bolts of what the state of the nation address podcast is. And this, the series is that we're running at the moment is to find out what is going on at football clubs heading into the season so that our guests can kind of get their bearings around who, you know, who's basically doing the right things, who's doing questionable things, who's doing not so good things and, and how they can react to that. But massive news when you think Mane, Salah, Firmino, that's been a staple at Liverpool Football Club for the best part of six years now, you know, and that's no longer a case. We know that Sadio Mane has left Liverpool and, and we will get to the transfers out. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the run sheet that our executive producer Guy Drinkle has done here and he's definitely gone with transfers in first and then transfers out second. But I think we can make a special exception for Sadio Mane and put him at the top of the list. I, I hope that he's not going to berate me for that. But I just think it's such a big, big, um, transfer out. Maybe not if you, if you look at the transfer that's come in, but I just think for what he's done for Liverpool Football Club, for what that trio did for Liverpool Football Club, I mentioned them, Salah, Mane and Firmino. Um, Mane obviously secures that transfer to Bayern Munich. Now, he had a year left in his contract, so maybe that's what dictates the price that he's gone for. Um, but I'll stick with you, Gally. What were your, did, did you see this coming? Or was this kind of a shock to the system? I mean, I've, I've heard people compare it to maybe not the sentiment of Torres leaving Liverpool because that, I'm mean, me speaking personally, that hurt me when Torres left Liverpool. Mane, it hurt me, but I knew it was coming, and he's done it in such a good, gracious way that it it, it still hurts, but there's still a good feeling with it. Whereas Torres just he just tore my heart apart. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put it on the Torres level for that exact reason. I think the emotional investment wasn't there. The fact that he also left for a competitor in the 
division and did it in the way he did in January, which was clear he kind of downed tools leading up to it. I think it made that even more painful. Um, I had mentioned to you and when we were kind of chatting at the beginning that I was over there uh, for the last match of the season. And we were lucky enough to be in a hospitality room and and there was a little bit of chatter amongst some of the ex-players and some of the former folks that, you know, this could be the last we see of Saudi Omane today. And it almost was starting to get out. And then we had that interview and the little drop he had before the Champions League final, um, which being an American sports fan, I always have a little cynical anytime they say a little bit. I think if you read between the lines, you can often hear what they're saying. And it was for me, it was more what Jurgen said, which was Jurgen Klopp was asked the question, will Saudi Omani be here next year? And his response before the Champions League final was wherever Sadio plays, he will be important. And for me, that let me know the players knew he was leaving. The club knew he was leaving and the manager knew he was leaving. Um, so I think that prepared me emotionally um, by the sight of my Facebook feed. It has not prepared the majority of the people because I feel like we're in full meltdown mode. Um, I'm very happy for him. He's an absolute legend. I'm sad to see him leave. Um, but I don't think you can begrudge a player who's done everything as a human being right for deciding he wanted to play football somewhere else. So for that, I'm going to wish him well. Um, and when we get to talking about the players coming in, maybe that's really more or less why I'm a little bit excited for this is I feel like the club has, they're not going to replace him, but I feel like they've done a good job restocking some of the tools that we'll be losing with him moving on. Yeah, I think tools is the apt word to use there because many people have mentioned that Liverpool, especially from an offensive side of things, are kind of like a Swiss army knife where they, 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 they're coming from, you know, at you from different angles. But, um, to mention, I'm going to bring you in, into this conversation with regards to Sadio Mane. Um, obviously a player that, um, kind of was the foundation block for Jurgen Klopp, in my opinion. Um, the first big signing that he brought in, I mean, that Arsenal goal is still iconic and will forever be iconic to me um, when he jumped on Klopp's back. It's sort of, for me, it was like, you know, Klopp was saying, jump on my back and I'll take you to the dreamland. I'll take you to the promised land. Sort of like a Pat Riley moment um, for our American listeners out there. But to mention, what were your thoughts? Um, you know, Gally's obviously mentioned that he kind of had an inkling. Did you have an inkling? Did 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 Gally kind of uh, spoil things for you a bit there? Did he leak the news to you that Mane was leaving? Gally always spoils things for me. Uh, but no, <laughs> honestly, if you asked me three years ago, like looking at that front three, and if you asked me who will be the first one to leave, I would have back then said Mane. Just that's the feeling I had at the time in terms of like fitting in and looking for something better or not better, maybe, but like different, I should say, in terms of like a new adventure kind of deal because he came from Southampton, whereas Mo had a totally different story where he was in the Premier League, went to Italy and came back. But over the last year, year and a half, all the talk has been Mo. So it's almost like you've been distracted to talk about and worried more about Salah's contract. That we almost, you know, Mane was the forgotten guy. And that could partially be part of it. And let's face it. I mean, like you said, it's been an iconic three. And when we look back, it's going to be in the history of this league, not only for Liverpool. And it's always tough when you get that attached. Because these are players that brought you success as well. 
I mean, there are times where you have a player that, you know, that you attach yourself to as a fan, but if the era is not as successful, it can be a bit more easily forgotten. Whereas these guys have brought a ton of success, the title, the Champions League, all kinds of stuff. So looking back, these guys are going to be very valuable to us, like historically. And it's always tough when you lose players like that. But I don't know, like I say, over the years, you almost have to understand and expect for it to happen. You don't want, and in some ways it's nice because you don't want a player to kind of like diminish in their skills where you kind of see, I always think of like when Gerard, for example, came over to the US and played here. And I'll be honest, as a huge fan of him, it was almost painful to watch. And it was just like, dude, just don't. Cause I, and I kind of like have blocked that part of it off in my head, for example. I don't even consider that he played over here so that I don't remember that. I think it's the same thing with Mane. I, it's going to be painful. I'm sure we'll talk about it later as well. But Divock, same thing. You have so many golden memories with these players that it is tough to lose. But at the same time, especially with their age, both him and Mo, you knew one or maybe both would be eventually gone. And most importantly is how you bring other players to kind of continue the success and not have a drop off when you lose a top player. I think a good club is able to do that. You know, when you look at, you know, American sports, we talk about dynasties and stuff like that. I mean, if you look at those dynasties, that's part of the key. It's not always the same players because, I mean, they can only play for so many years. It's talking about changing certain pieces, but continuing the successful flow and I think that's what it is. Is it sad? Yes. I was just watching a YouTube video yesterday and I was like, damn, man, that Arsenal goal you were talking about, the goal against Bayern and stuff, his, you know, mocking Bobby's celebrations. I mean, we have so many golden moments with these guys that, you know, it will be missed, but it's sadly kind of part of the nature of the process. It It, it is part of the nature of the process. And you mentioned dynasties. You mentioned transition i mean these are players that won't easily be forgotten when you're speaking of guys like sadio mani so they're ingrained in liverpool football club and he's mentioned he's going to be liverpool's number one fan um which probably just digs the knife in a little bit more but um yeah but look with dynasties you have to then evolve a dynasty isn't one team it isn't over the span of you know salah mane Firmino. It's what do you do after them? That's how you define a dynasty. What happens after the great players, the ones that you've relied on to get you every trophy that you can win at club level? What can they deliver? So let, let's head into, you know, the waters there for, for Liverpool Football Club because they've done some business. Um, you know, fans are never happy. So maybe not enough business for fans and we'll, we'll get to that part. But so far they've done some business. Um, Let's start with, I've got an asterisk here for Luis Diaz because he's a player that came in in January. Um, I, I think he, he offered, uh, a valuable input in, in Liverpool's season at a time when they had Sadio, uh, Sadio Mane and Mo Salah from a forward perspective that went to AFCON. The amount of minutes that Salah played at AFCON were just insane. Um, Mane obviously goes on to win it, so he plays important minutes there as well. He was kind of like a breath of fresh air, and the reason I put him as an asterisk was because he was meant to sign in July. He was meant to sign at the end of the season. Obviously, Spurs go in to try and sign him in January, 
and Liverpool kind of say, oh, we can get him in, <laughs> we can get him in January. Perfect. Now, unfortunately for, for Spurs fans, they didn't know that Liverpool kind of had this relationship with uh, Porto, which kind of stems from the Michael, Marco Gruich, uh sale. Um, it's kind of two parts. One, they can, you know, go for Diaz in the year after. And then two, maybe more important to Arsenal fans, with Fabio Vieira, uh, Liverpool sold Marco Gruich for two million less than they originally wanted to and got a first right of refusal for Fabio Vieira um, at Porto. And actually, Porto have paid that to Liverpool, which is what made me realize that, oh, okay, he must be going somewhere else. Um, it's one of those things that you can then just do the maths on. But Luis Diaz comes in in January. He plays an impact. I think you can see potential there from my perspective, but he's certainly not the the, the, the finished article. Um, I'll stay with you, Timogen. What were your thoughts on... Let, let's take him... I'm going to rope him in with an asterisk to this postseason summer transfer window because he was meant to be for this window. But if you want to touch on what impact he had during the season and then obviously what impact you're expecting from him heading forward, by, by all means, go ahead. I think it's been huge. I mean, not only... For the reasons you mentioned, like those Mo and Mane, you know, playing all those minutes and having like more tired legs. I think as a club, it kind of re-energized the club. You had somebody out there who was so much full of energy compared to everywhere else. I mean, it was just kind of like an odd feeling seeing him on the field because he kind of stood out as having more energy. It would almost look like at all times he just came on in the 80th minutes. Everybody was tired and he was still going. And not only that, I think... You know, people kind of forget this. I mean, we kind of, you know, romanticize some of the stories as we go. But Mane was really struggling in the beginning of the season uh, in terms of, like, finishing and stuff. It was not the same Mane on the left-hand side. Having Diaz in there enables Mane to shift to the middle, which suddenly kind of, like, re-increased Mane's value because I think he did do well over there. He brought something that, you know, we didn't maybe get with Bobby. Obviously, you lose some things that you got with Bobby as well. But with Bobby's injury and form, it kind of helped fill that void in the middle by shifting Mane over there. So it was huge in that sense. And he was so successful and the impact was so huge that we almost forget that he just joined in January because it felt like he was there all along. And I think moving forward, I mean, one thing that was, I think, not as good as it was between Mane and Robo is going to be with this offseason, you're going to have that with Diaz and Robertson back there. That kind of dynamic where they, you know, the overlaps and things like that. You kind of saw as you watch games, I mean, we live and breathe this team. So you can kind of sense sometimes the understanding between them and how natural it is. With Mani and Robo, like you don't have to look, you can pass knowing that overlap is coming. With when Diaz was in there, it takes a look up first to make sure that overlap is coming. We're talking split seconds, but as fast as this game is, those split seconds are huge against the defense. So I think we're going to see a lot better relationship and synergy between those two. And I think like Diaz's impact is going to go up even more. And it kind of shows, you know, going back to Gally talking about, you know, the progression and the new guys coming in. It kind of shows how good Liverpool is in identifying players that fit the system. Because we got this guy in January, and Klopp normally does not play players 
for the first two, three months at least. I mean, we saw this with Pavinio, we saw this with Robertson, but he had enough confidence to put Diaz out there. Was that all confidence? I don't know. I think partially it was probably need as well. But I think it kind of shows like how well Liverpool identify what they need for the team and which player fits that exact need. I think Diaz is like a perfect example of that. It It is a, a perfect example. And it kind of goes into kind of what Liverpool have become, which is a very, very good analytics, scouting, data-orientated team that embraces maybe a more American sports style of system, which which isn't, you know, maybe as ingrained in European football at the moment. But, Gally, I'll come to you with regards to Luis Diaz coming in, and then after that maybe we'll go to, I guess, the, the, the big summer signing in Darwin Nunes. But Luis Diaz, for you, uh, did he have that same impact for you, as Timichan is mentioning? Um, did, did you Did you feel that Robertson kind of, you have to look up? I, I guess the synergy will come, won't it? I I do feel uh, very much the same with Tamucha when it comes to the energy. I think I use the term on our podcast. It, it was it not only put a, a kind of a breath of fresh air into the club at a time when they needed it because the players were coming back from Afcon. The results were kind of going in different directions. I feel like Diaz re-energized everyone in the room to step up their play because basically, to your point, they saw Spurs come in. And they said, oh, no, 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 this is our talent. This is our guy. They made it happen. They identified it. They signed him. And that sends a message to the other, you know, grown men in the dressing room that we are all in it here. We are going for all four trophies. We are going to bring in players that will help. And his impact was immediate. We saw the electricity on the pitch. He had the goal early. He had the assist early. If you look at his underlying numbers, he didn't create or contribute in as many goals or goal involvements as I think the attention to his play um, or the talk about him. But I think what people could see was, was that this was a, a budgeting star that as he got more familiar with his teammates, you know, I think playing alongside Bobby, we're going to get to Darwin. I think we're going to see a very, very much improved version of what we got in a small glimpse from Diaz in the second half of last season. I'm ex- very, very excited for the talent. Yep. Um, Premier League rivals have been forewarned with regards to him. Um, and let's move on, Gally. I'm going to stay with you with regards to the, the big summer signing, the, the, someone say a marquee summer signing in Darwin Nunes. Now, this is interesting because both Liverpool and Man City have gone now with a true number nine in inverted commas, whereas in previous seasons they haven't. I, I, I feel City had a number nine in Gabriel Jesus, but chose not to use him there, whereas Liverpool didn't really have one. Um, Bobby Firmino played there, but we all know he started in the attacking midfield role. What were your thoughts when he, maybe when the rumours started getting linked with, to Darwin Nunes? Like, is this a change in how Liverpool are going to set up or... Or, you know, it, it, it's, is, is it just the nature of football that it's cyclical? Um, we've seen, you know, ticky tacker footballs come in, counter attack footballs come in. Um, maybe it's, it's come back to the true number nine where we've, you know, in recent history, Chelsea, you know, they had a number nine in Lukaku that they signed for big bucks, ended up playing with, um, Kai Havertz as a false nine. 
Liverpool, as we mentioned, they've had Bobby Firmino. They've had Mane recently as a false nine. Uh, Man City, Phil Foden has played there. Sterling has played there. So some of these big clubs have opted not to go with a traditional number nine. But now Liverpool bring in Darwin Nunes, undisputedly a player that plays more comfortably in that number nine role. We know he likes to drift out wide and stuff. But first and foremost, do you think the fee has any impact at all? I mean, £67 million for him. Obviously, they're add-ons as well. But I always mention, if the add-ons end up being paid, it means the player's been successful. That That's how add-ons work. And I know you mm-hmm. guys mentioned that in your podcast, I think it was two weeks ago, with regards to add-ons, with regard to the price and the impact for him. But for, for the benefit of our listeners, what are your thoughts on Darwin Nunes coming in as a number nine for Liverpool Football Club? So to answer one of your questions from the beginning, when it first started to be rumbling in the rumors that we were going to sign Darwin Nunes, I think my exact response was, I can't wait to see the player that we actually sign because it sounded like paper talk to get us involved or to up the price for United or wherever he was going. Because at that point, I didn't believe we were going to spend 70 million on one player, especially one that as great of a diamond as he could become still wasn't the finished article and may not slot right into our side. Now, as the rumors, be- there was more smoke, the fire became, you know, you really got to understand that this was legitimate and could happen. I started looking at the other activity we were linked to, which was, you know, the great young midfielder from Monaco at, you know, t- I can't pronounce his name. I think it's Tushemi. Um, But he, to me, that spoke to an altering of the formation. And I think when I look at this team, and I've been calling for more 4-2-3-1 for the better part of four seasons, and it's one thing I do, I call for it, and then I get proven wrong when Jurgen sets up 4-3-3 every single week, no matter what. But I really believe, and we'll get to other signings like Carvalho and the way that we're building the midfield, I think we're going to see more 4-2-3-1, allowing Nunez to play up top and allowing an attacking midfielder like a Bobby or a Carvalho to play off of him, which is what he was such a big success. The one thing I would say is, is we talk about Klopp giving folks a few months, and that is extremely true when it comes to the fullbacks. We saw it with Rabo. We saw it with the midfielders. We saw it with youth players. But all in all, in Klopp's tenure, Mane, Mo, um, you know, when a player is bought to be part of the first 11 or the first or second subs, it doesn't take as long for the attackers to find their way into his his setup. And I think that's because the midfielders are asked to do such a big job, right, that um, I don't think it's going to take that long. I fully expect Darwin to be fully bedded in in the first month or two to be starting matches before the World Cup. And I believe when we come back from the World Cup, he is every bit our number nine in the focal point of the attacking sphere. And I think there will be a slight change to those tactical setups, especially against the teams that set up with a low block. And I got to tell you, I'm all for it. Look, you're not wrong with the 4-2-3-1 shot. And, and I'll tell you why. Because if you look at sort of the when Liverpool are in possession of, of the ball, with the shape that they take in, that right-sided midfielder does tend to push up quite high. So it almost does look like a 4-2-3-1 um, from a, a Klopp football perspective this past season. 
So maybe it's just more ingrained and, and it's going to become more, I, I guess, maybe Sky or, you know, uh, NBC, SN will put it as a 4-2-3-1 opposed to a 4-3-3 before the game starts. But in, from a stylistic perspective, I, I think you're, you're certainly onto something. This is something that he was very comfortable with at Borussia Dortmund. And it, it feels like he's always wanted to get back to that at Liverpool. And you can see it kind of edging closer and closer to that. But, uh, Timichin, for you, Darwin Nunes, 67 million, big, big, it, it, it's a, it's a big signing and it's a big intent signing, I would say. Would you agree with that? Definitely, because the price tag kind of brings that intent and shows that intent. And I think it almost, the type of signing that had to happen when you lose a player like Sadio and, you know, with all the talk that's happening with Mo, I think going back to what you were saying for that, you know, even when we look like 4-2-3-1 at times, you could never tell who the one was, the way the movement was up top, because Bobby is not really that one. So it never looked like there was a 4 I think Nunez could be that one. And he's not the traditional number nine where he's not going to always like, you know, park in the box and wait for the ball. He's, I mean, he has a lot of speeds. Uh, he's good on the ball. And I think, you know, he, looking at his heat maps, he always seems to kind of go towards the left a lot more. And, you know, one thing we were talking about on our podcast as well is that kind of really opens it up for a 4 2 3 one a bit better because that midfield player in the center, whatever it's going to be, Bobby, or maybe it's going to be Carvalho or Elliot, whoever that person is going to be, is going to have a lot of space. And more importantly, it will isolate Mo a bit more on his wing and no one wants to take Mo one-on-one. So it really... Mm-hmm provides a lot more challenges for a defense to kind of like cover Mo because they always double team or triple team Mo. But it's going to be kind of tricky when you have Nunez sliding to your right along with like Diaz to which way you're going to look, which can open up the center. So it brings a lot. One thing about this season compared to, I would say, the last three, four seasons is we're entering the season with a lot more questions. Not in terms of quality or how competitive the team will be because I think the main skeleton of the team is still there that's going to bring the success but we have formation questions we have you know who's going to do what kind of questions and maybe like some concerns especially whenever you spend that much money bring a young player I just want to see how that's going to work out one thing going back to what we were talking about Diaz is this club the way we've done business in the past over the last three four seasons Anybody they sign, I think as a fan base, we automatically give them the benefit of the doubt just because of like the track record. So if they spend this much money on Nunez, if it was four years ago, I'd be worried. I'm like, you know, is this Benteke's brother? Is this Andy Carroll showing up? You know, you'd be worried. Now it's almost like they must know something. Because the same situation with Diaz, we just kind of like going into. So there's a lot more optimism within that, you know, like questions and worries and stuff like that. But in terms of worries, I think my only concern going into the season with Nunez and you know we talked about Diaz earlier is the pressing up top and who's going to be the trigger for it. Because usually Bobby was the trigger for that press or Sadio was on the left hand side. So who's going to be the trigger for that press? How well we're going to execute that? are the questions going in. But like I say, I will be 
I mean, if you listen to our podcast, I am the worrier of the group. I'm always the pessimist and the worrier. And yes, Igali's already nodding. Uh, so, <laughs> but I'm a lot less worried just by because of our track record. If they sign this kid for this much money, they saw a lot more. Most fans are like, especially United fans who are bitter that they could not get him, always go back to the, oh, he had one good season and stuff like that. If you think Liverpool spent that much money watching a kid for one season, you're not following the sport very well. So if they spent this much money on this kid to bring him in, they saw some stuff that they really liked. So I'm kind of excited to see what that is. And and you mentioned one-hit wonders. Wasn't Mo Salah meant to be a one-hit wonder after that first season at <laughs> Liverpool? So, I mean, and you know, you, you also mentioned, um, you know, giving the benefit of the doubt. You mentioned, you know, concerns with regards to questions, uncertainties going into a season. Guys, if, if you're going to give anyone the benefit of the doubt, I would give the benefit of the doubt to our presenting sponsors, Liberty Shield, because they are number one on Trustpilot. And Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. You can check out their services at libertyshield.com. You guys can save um, with the new coupon code EPL25 for 25% off of your router or software VPN. Um, VPN is a virtual private network. It's a technology that encrypts your internet traffic to protect your online identity. It hides your IP address, shields you from online, um, you know, shields your online data from third parties. You can also change your location. So, hey, if you're in the UK, UK and you maybe want to watch NBC SN or if you're in the US and you want to watch Sky Sports, then definitely link up with Liberty Shield. It also avoids geoblocks and government imposed restrictions to access any website. Finally, guys, go check out the EPL shop. Yeah, you'll find that on Etsy. Use the code EPL10 and get 10% off at your checkouts. Um, I'm, I'm kind of the segue king. I don't know if you guys, um, knew that. Um, but yeah, hopefully the listeners know that by now in terms of that. But, Guys, let, let's move on. We've spoken about Darwin Nunes, the big signing, maybe the one that gets all the headlines. There's some interesting ones that maybe don't get the headlines. We've got someone here, you know, Fabio Carvalho. He's come from Fulham. Uh, attacking player can play. You've mentioned that 4-2-3-1 that could come in. If, if there's a player that's going to play that number 10 role, I'm looking at him and thinking, oh, what he did with Mitrovic? If he can do something similar with Darwin Nunes or, or any of the players that Liverpool have there, he's probably one I have an eye on. And Liverpool obviously get that one in. They, they're able to agree a fee before he becomes a free agent, so to speak. So they avoid the tribunal that they've done with Danny Ings, for example, uh, Dom Solanke, I think, as well. So they, they avoid the uncertainty of the price they would have to pay. And considering his market values at 10 million at the moment, the, the fact that they got him for 5 million, I think is really smart business. Kind of just cut that down the middle, forget all the legal fees and everything else that comes with having to go to a tribunal. 5 million for Fabio Carvalho. Gali, I'll, I'll, I'll come to you with, um, your first thoughts on Fabio Carvalho. Obviously there were hints in January that he was going to come in. Um, interesting story with that one. Um, maybe a nugget for our listeners. Um, the reason that didn't happen in January was more to do with 
the fact that he changed agents in January um, at the time, and it was a paperwork thing. Um, I won't go into the details of what the paperwork thing, but they were basically chasing a deadline on deadline day to get over the line. And it's, it's a clerical error that meant that they couldn't agree it before the January transfer window. So I, I knew sort of even after the January transfer window ended, they kind of had already agreed everything. Um, everything was already sorted out. It's just whether and when you, when you decide to announce it, but they probably would have announced it in January if it wasn't for a clerical error on, on, on an individual or individuals. But anyway, nonetheless, um, yeah, let's talk about Fabio Cavalier. You've, you've spoken about 4-2-3-1. Is this the player that you kind of picture? Maybe him, Harvey Elliott? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm throwing certain names in there, but is this the type of player you thought about when you envisioned that evolution of Liverpool? Yeah, I, I think it, 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 the signing of him, watching Harvey's uh, mature and find his way in and, and how impactful he was, even in the 4-3-3 setup early last season, where he looked like he was either a nailed-on starter or, or darn close to being a first-teamer, uh, especially on the right-hand side with Jordan not being available with the captain not being ready to start the year. I think we're going to see Bobby play a little bit in that role as well. I feel like Carvalho looks to me to be the replacement for Bobby Firmino, his his energy, his pressing, his ability to create for others while also creating space using, you know, intelligent runs and his movement. Um, I mentioned earlier, you know, my sports allegiance is Liverpool Football Club. And then it goes to other football matches. And because I'm a soccer junkie and my wife doesn't like to talk to me on the weekends, I watched a lot of the championship last year and Fulham being such an exciting side to watch. I, I focused a lot on them. And what I see from Carvalho is just an exceptionally technically talented young player who has so much upside to his game. And I believe that we cut that fee in a third because I think if he had gotten to tribunal, he would have set an English record. And it would have went over 12 million in the buy. Um, his value is 10 now. I think with his age and what he had offered and how much he had accomplished at Fulham in those two years, I really believe that they got a real steal here in a player. I also believe their goal was to have him come in January because I think Klopp thinks very highly of him and almost wanted him to get his first three months of sitting on the bench being in the run in and figuring out how they do things, because I think he sees a big role for him. And uh, I think he is the midfield purchase that everyone is screaming for now, saying they need to make. We did make a midfield purchase, everyone. He's just not, you know, a big English name that you are ready for yet. But I think by January, I think he will. And yeah, that, that, that's a very interesting way to look at it as well. Not too much, and for you, Fabio Cavallio comes in. Um Gally's mentioned probably someone that Klopp would have liked to come in to get valuable time to be, he probably would have been out of the limelight in, in, in that first, you know, January to July. There's no pressure to start him. He gets to learn the system for six months and then you can throw him in into the next season. Did, did you have the same feeling in that sense or just, just happy to get him over the line come, come the summer window? Honestly, yeah, just securing the deal was important. I almost liked it better that he got to stay at Fulham and play as opposed to coming over. While we were going for the quad, I don't know how much game time he would get. 
and that's something that he needs, especially at this level. I'm cautiously optimistic, like Gally's saying, in terms of being able to maybe replace Bobby down the road, bring some of what he does, and then obviously he brings some other aspects to it. Cautiously optimistic because when we signed Taki, you know, the feeling amongst fans was about the same. We were like, oh, this is somebody else that can do. I mean, Bobby's va- Bobby's always undervalued by most fans. What he brings, what he does, uh, you know, whether it's like pressing, working off the ball, working on the ball, his control, his touch, all that kind of stuff. The thing I like about Carvalho compared to Taki, and that's why I'm more cautiously optimistic, is the fact that he is coming from championship. So he, he has shown that he can physically cope with this league, whereas we did not know that from Taki. And I think that's where he struggled. And that's why, you know, obviously it was good business for Liverpool at the end. But I see Carvalho being able to provide more. And I think the Nunez signing has bottomed that time you're talking about in terms of not having the pressure. Because there is a high dollar player coming into the front line. So in most fans, if you went and asked now, everybody's waiting to see Nunez. And it's almost has become an afterthought, maybe because the business got done, you know, like six months ago too. So I think that does buy him a lot of leeway. And we know if we've seen anything from Klopp, he knows how to handle the young kids, when to play him to give them confidence when they should sit back a little bit and watch and learn. So he has managed that really well with a lot of players. But I'm pretty excited to see his future because I really think I agree with Gally. There's so much potential there in terms of like what we've seen from him at Fulham. And like I say, he's done it at the championship level. It's like um, the return of Coutinho in some ways when you look at his play. But a lot better off the ball and a more of a harder worker than Coutinho was in terms of defensively, which is why really Coutinho never fit into this lineup even when he was with club. Yeah, it, it, and that's kind of what we're talking about. It's an evolution. You know, if you're going to say Coutinho, it's an evolution of a Coutinho. He's bringing both sides on the ball and off the ball, which is exciting stuff. Now, guys, obviously, you know, especially when, when I look NFL, um, Maybe in NBA to some respect, but especially NFL with how big a roster they have, you need squad depth. You need depth in certain positions. I'm looking, especially like defensive tackle. I'm happy to have a sub that can rotate onto the front line or something like that. I see Calvin Ramsey as someone that is a sneaky good depth player to come into the team. Okay. He's going to be the backup right back to Trent Alexander Arnold. We all know Trent, world class player in the conversation for best right back in world football. But we saw Robertson as the left back for Liverpool. We bring in Timikas. I thought, me personally, I think Timikas is going to take over from Robertson at some point in time. I know that's not a popular opinion, but I just think Timikas from his passing, his crossing, his set pieces brings a lot to the club. Um, I'm not obviously saying that Ramsey is going to come in and just take over from Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'm, you know, we know the standards that he's set and he's probably set to become Liverpool captain at some point in time. But to have someone that's specialized in that position, that's a creative young player in the right back position, maybe more similar to Trent than what we saw in Gomez, who was deputizing last season. Gomez, we know, is a center back. 
I think, a very good centre-back that's just unfortunately in a team that has four really good centre-backs. Um, mm-hmm. And he's probably a player, you know, teams look out. If if I was, you know, maybe a Spurs or something, I'd be looking to get Gomez in because he could start for us. But anyway, um, Calvin Ramsey comes in, four million you know, plus add-ons. Obviously, he's got a market value of 500,000 odd, but there were rumors that, you know, Aberdeen were trying to hold up for 10 million. Um, Liverpool get him for four plus add-ons. Considering that, I think it's a bargain regardless of his market value. And then I think it's important. Um, you guys mentioned Takumi Minamino earlier with regards to that ended up being a successful signing for Liverpool. Backup players, buying them for cheap, being able to, you know, develop them and sell them at a profit is a very healthy way to keep a sustainable club. If you don't have maybe the oil monies or, you know, the, 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 the government funded monies, that's how you keep the sustainable things going. If Simicas then gets sold, you know, for 30 odd million later on, then you buy the next young Simicas, you develop him and you sell him. That's very sustainable for me. I see the same for Ramsey. If he, you know, takes over the job from Trent, you've probably got the best player in the world. So the upside from that perspective is he's probably not going to take take over from Trent. If he does, it means we've got the best player in the world. If he doesn't, we've got Jurgen Klopp that's going to develop him. We're probably going to sell him for 15 to 20 million. You've made a profit on him. And then you buy the next Calvin Ramsey for 5 million and you keep that going. Uh to mention, you're nodding your head. Do you have that same sentiment with regards to him? I think it was a signing that was needed. You see what Costas's addition has done for Robertson's game in terms of, I mean, whether we admit it or not, these guys are pros. Nobody wants to lose any minute. You see somebody walk in in your position, it's going to push you. Regardless of how good you already are, it's going to automatically going to push you in terms of your performance. Not only that, it gives you the opportunity to to rotate and give some rest and not run your players into the ground. I think with Gomez, he did well, even though that was not his natural position. I think he played some like really good games. Uh, Nico was probably going to be the one that, you know, we saw as the future to replace Trent. But if you, even if you just think of it that way as business, how much you spend for Ramsey and how much you're probably going to end up getting for Nico Williams, I think that's good business by itself. I see it as, you know, you talked about NFL and defensive tackles and like NBA and stuff. The one big difference you see over there is you can substitute as many times as you want. One thing that's going to be interesting to see this year now is with five subs, how well Klopp is going to be able to use that. So if we have a game in hand, it will be nice to get Ramsey in maybe sometimes and give Trent some minutes off, kind of like what we did with Robo, because I really think it helped Robertson a lot being able to cost us come in, give some minutes, take a game here and there away from him to keep his legs fresh. Liverpool plays a style that relies on energy and relentless energy. And the moment that drops, the entire performance drops. Sometimes you say, you know, you watch a game, you're like, ah, oh, we're just not ourselves. Because if that drops by 10, 15%, if that press isn't there, everything else sometimes can get exposed. So having those fresh legs is going to be huge. That's why I think it's a great sign. And we just did not have somebody for that for Trent. And with the five subs, especially in the Premier League this year, 
I think that's a great tool for Klopp to be able to give Trent rest at times without seeing a huge drop-off. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned that five subs. You're going to have to have a big squad. Um, And even just 70 minutes into a game, you're 3-0 up. Just being able to take a Trent off because you've got more subs, the value that that can add to a squad is going to be interesting to see heading forward. Now, guys, we've we've gone through the players that have come in officially so far for Liverpool Football Club. We'll move on to the players that have gone out. We've obviously highlighted Sadio Mane for obvious reasons. Uh, you know, Guy Drinker, executive producer, has got Marco Gruich in here. I've kind of touched on why he's in here for this summer, even though he left last summer. Um, one, because of, you know, the deal that Liverpool had, the first refusal and the, the, the first option on Luis Diaz. And then also with the Marco Gruich sale, Liverpool deferred the income for that to this coming transfer window. So he left last season, but he actually, the money actually is only coming in this transfer window. So Liverpool will count it as, as a transfer out this window. Obviously, cult hero Divock Origi leaves. Um, uh, on Anfield Index, uh, the sister side of EPL Index, people know me there as probably number one fan club for Divock Origi. I, I, they, they nominated me. They nominated me as the number one, um, you know, supporter of Divock Origi. I think it's just, I just like the fact that we had a player that doesn't complain. When he comes onto the pitch, he produces. We've seen clubs like Spurs try and find a deputy to Harry Kane. You know, a player that is going to produce when they're asked to produce, but not complain because they're sitting behind Harry Kane. Divock Origi does that. He, he doesn't mind sitting on the bench. When he comes on, he's scoring goals in Champions League final and against Bayern, you know, Barcelona and stuff like that. Like, I feel sorry for Everton. Like, they, they must be the happiest people to see Divock leave because he's tormented them for years. Um, Ojo has also left on a free transfer. Woodburn has left on a free transfer. Carrius has finally left on a free transfer. I hope all of them have a lot of success, you know, in their future endeavors. No ill will to any of them. Um, and you know, even like, I know Karius was a contentious person, whatever, but for me, Godspeed, bro, go have a great career elsewhere. I hope he succeeds in life. And then, you know, another player that's left or is leaving, depending on when you listen to this podcast, Takumi Minamino, we mentioned the whole thing of having players that are on the bench, you develop them, sell them for a profit. That's a great model. Minamino comes in for, you know, eight odd million, uh, less than a year ago. He, he, he ends up leaving for 50, you know, he goes on loan. So Southampton pay a loan fee for him. So that kind of repays his, 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 his transfer fee. And then you sell him for a profit as well to Monaco, a player that I think will do really, really well at Monaco. Now, do you guys have any thoughts or, or anything you want to comment on those players that I've mentioned there? We've got Marco Gruich, obviously left last season, but transfer money comes in this season. Divock Origi, cult hero. Shea Ojo, who never really had a chance at Liverpool, but not many, you know, it, it's very hard for academy players to come through and break through in, in any top club. Um, Woodburn, similar things. I think he had the record for the youngest Liverpool goal scorer. Um, 
Carrius, obviously, I, I thought he did well at times when he came in, had that massive thing, I think, from a mental side of things, uh, the Champions League final against Real Madrid last time out. Um, and then, as I said, Takimi Minamino, who I think was a hero in the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup, probably a reason why we got those trophies. But um, Gali, I'll come to you. Do you have any thoughts on those outgoings? Sure. I, I'm going to start with the guy who's not officially gone yet, if that's okay, in Taki. Um, all you need to do to, you know, we talk about the analytics and the numbers. He had 11 shots on goal in the last calendar campaign, and he scored 10 goals. That that I mean, he was given limited opportunities, and he took those opportunities. And I think that's all you can ask of a player. I think he probably looks at it and feels he should have got a few more opportunities the second half of the season based on how well he did in the Cups. Um, but I do believe that he is ready um, to go on and, and do good things for himself at Monaco. And the fee is amazing. What I'll say as a whole on the outgoings, I don't think we get enough credit for the selling of the players, but more importantly, also the sell-on fees and the negotiated pricing that we do. So um, the striker we sold last summer, Tai Iowani, that went to Germany, is coming back to Forest, and we're picking up $1.7 million basically for a guy having a year. And if the rumors are true, uh, Porto is considering an offer for Grucic to come back to Fulham and play in the Premier League next year, and we'll be picking up more money in the same window that a club is paying us. And I, you know, we can all hold our nose at how Chelsea spent their money and the 750 players on loan. But for me, what Chelsea's done so well the last few years is, is they maximize the value of their players by getting them minutes elsewhere and preparing them to sell. So I think these outgoings that are going on a free, I, I honestly believe that will be the last we see of these lower level players running down deals. I think we're adapting to a model of sending players on loan, you know, whether it's Davies, whether it's um, the young Connor Bradley, we buy a right back. We recognize you are not the right back. We send you on loan. You increase your value. And next summer you become someone's four or $5 million buy. But that's that money coming out of uh, coming through the Academy and becoming assets that then allow you to reinvest is really the strength. So um, as far as the outgoings, you know, I'm sad to see Taki go. Um, I like you. I love the cult hero that is Origi. I just hope AC Milan understands they're getting a guy who's totally content with wearing his warm-up suit until five minutes to go, taking it off, and basically becoming Superman, scoring a goal, not looking that excited, and then, like, doing a press conference after and being like, yeah, we have practice tomorrow. I think it's at three. My agent will remind me. His temperament, right? I always used to say this about baseball players. The same thing that drove fans crazy, that made it look like Origi wasn't engaged and wasn't, you know, fully embedded and fighting to get on the pitch is what allowed him to come on with three minutes to go and still score the game winner. He had that mentality to just be in the right place at the right time. And I just feel like the relationship between him and the fans is a very, very unique one. Um, I was lucky to send him off on his last day, and uh, I'll always remember that he got the second biggest ovation outside of Jurgen Klopp after Liverpool played their last match against Wolves. And that, to me, just speaks volumes about his time here at the club. 
So if I was going to use any time to talk about a player, it would be Origi. And, uh, you know, if I met him, I'd shake his hand, I'd say thank you, and then I'd ask him if he remembers that he played for Liverpool Football Club because it seems like he is just that guy, which is like the next 15 minutes is all that's on. And uh, I think it's what's made him such a special footballer, to be honest. Maybe at a, at once, maybe in a, in in the past life, I played for Liverpool. Will probably be his answer. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> to Richard, uh, talk to me about Divock Origi and and any of the other transfers that have gone out. Uh, we kind of like touched up on uh, Taki, but for Divock, I mean, yeah, man, he is such an odd player. You just gotta love him, like what he's done. I mean, the guy is full of iconic moments. You know, like I was mentioning earlier, the video I watched from Mane, and I remember every single goals and stuff like that. But how long? I mean, for how many goals Divock has scored? It's almost like every single one is a highlight. And not because of, you know, oh, Divac scored it, but the importance of the goal. I mean, half of them are against Everton anyway. And then, you know, like the timing of the goals, the way he scored them, you just got to love the guy. I feel like he, people think, like Galli says, because of his demeanor, that he is not like a hard worker, like almost like too casual and stuff. But we know that if he was not that hard worker, in practice and doing the work, club would not hang on to him for all these years. And I gave him a part of the squad. So he clearly was. I think, especially this last season, he started playing his size a bit more. I always felt like he he's a huge guy that plays like a little dude because uh, he does have the speed. I really think he's going to have a very successful career moving forward. Uh, in terms of the other ones, um, I'll just touch up on Karius just for a second. I mean, yes, he should have ideally have gone a long time ago for his sake and probably for the club. And I know a lot of fans, based on what happened, have a lot of like built up anger towards the dude. But you got to give him this. He's been there all this time and he has not been a distraction. He has not said stuff to the media. You never read about him. You almost like forget about him until you see every off season. Oh, he's still here kind of a deal. So uh, you got to give him that. And yeah, like you said, there's not one player on there that you don't say good luck to you in the future and kind of like root for their success going forward. Even Ben Woodburn, who at one point I remember when the rumors were like, especially with Coutinho leaving and stuff like that, he had a couple of ridiculous games. They're like, who needs Coutinho? We got Ben Woodburn. And that's why you got to be careful with sometimes young players having huge games because it's like the consistency that really matters when it comes to young players. But like you said, I mean, you can every name on that list that you mentioned, we're going to be rooting for him as Liverpool fans, even Carrius, I think. Yeah, definitely. As long as they're not playing against Liverpool, then they well, can lose yeah. 10 <laughs> I mean, that, that that goes without saying for, for you guys. But guys, we've spoken about the people that have gone out. We've spoken about the people that have come into Liverpool. What is left? Like the, it seems like a lot has happened at Liverpool Football Club when we look at Premier League clubs and and what has gone on. What is left for Liverpool to do? I know Gally mentioned earlier on um, Chiuamani and and the potential of him coming in. So is that a position that Liverpool still need to address? That centre midfield, maybe specifically that right hand side of the central midfield. I know from a background perspective that. It was going to be both Darwin Nunes and Chuameni coming in for Liverpool. That was the intention. It wasn't an either or. 
Um, so with that in mind, do you guys feel that that still needs to be addressed or as Gally has mentioned, look, we, we've got guys like Fabi, um, Fabio Cavallo coming in. We still got, you know, and, and I'll add in, you still got guys like Harvey Elliott that did well at the beginning of the season. You've got Curtis Jones that is growing into his career. If we're shifting to a 4-2-3-1, do we as Liverpool need another central midfielder? Um, to mention, I'll, I'll stick with you on this one. Do Liverpool still need more signings, specifically yes or no on that central midfielder one? Yes. And more specifically, a defensive center midfielder. I think that's where we're lacking. If you look at the midfield pool, if you will, and especially if you're going to go to a 4-2-3-1, like we're assuming, and we'll probably see a lot more of it, you do not have a lot of names that can play that too, that I will be confident of in terms of defensively. So all these other midfield names we mentioned, in, including Fabio, Elliot, Jones, are not going to be part of that two. They're going to be more part of that three. So for the two, you have Fab, you have Hendo, and you have Milner that I would feel confident in being there. So even if it is a Ramsey kind of signing, that is a young player with a future potential that can give minutes like we were talking about the Fabinho and when the game is in hand and stuff, because I feel like we're going to run, run them into the ground. And Hando, I mean, and Milner, obviously, with their age, Hando with his injury history are kind of like risky. I feel like we do not have enough cover there. So now, will that be a big money signing based on like what we're assuming that Liverpool were ready to spend that kind of money for both players? We know the money is there, but Liverpool, compared to a club like United, for example, has been smart enough to spend only when they feel it's worth it and not just to spend it. So if that, even though that budget is there, if they feel like the player they really want is not available, they're not going to spend it just to get the third best person for that spot. So I feel like we might see something similar to a Ramsey signing. Maybe not a name everybody knows, but somebody who can help out with that rotation in that two spot, like the two pivot role in the midfield. Uh, but you never know. I know like the rumors are, you know, they're done and stuff like that. But last time we said this, next thing you know, Allison was walking in the door. So you never know. And my hope is we do sign somebody over there. And going back to, you know, what we talked about earlier, I have confidence in this team, how they scout and everything like that. So whoever they bring, whether it is a high dollar guy or a low dollar guy, I know it will be somebody that they've identified to fit in that needs. But if you ask me, if I'm in that room and they're turning to me and they're like, hey, Timuchin, should we sign somebody? I'm saying, yeah, let's get a defensive midfielder, shall we? And so that I would think that would really complete the squad going into the new season. Yeah, definitely just to bolster that midfield um, position and you, you've mentioned that the money is there and you've mentioned Liverpool have you know I mean we saw in was it 18-19 season where they barely signed anyone but that's because no one was there to advance the club forward that was attainable at the time we've seen it in the past with Liverpool they're very intentional with their signings um, and, and I, I think this could be quite pivotal in that from a Liverpool perspective, I think 
it, it's difficult as fans, I guess, to say, I want someone to come in. Whereas from Liverpool, the club's perspective is, if there's a player available, we have the capacity to bring them in. Whether or not that player becomes available, I guess, is the question. Do they become available this season or do they become available next season? We know the rumours of players that could potentially come next season. And um, I'll, I'll just warn people that we've seen Naby Keita be, be signed a season before and then come the, the next season. That's another option. Uh, Gally, you, you're bursting to comment on this, but what, what are your thoughts on potential players that still need to come in for Liverpool? Well, I, I have been uh, very, I have been very boisterous on our podcast that we need a midfielder. Uh, I love Jordan Henderson. I love James Milner. I believe that both of their, I believe both of them will play less next campaign than they did this campaign, even the captain. Cause I think as many matches as he made, it was tough. And I've been pounding the drum. If I were them, I would be going after Bellingham now. I would be trying to secure his signature and allow him to spend another year back at Borussia Dortmund, similar to the Naby Keita Leipzig deal that they did. Guys, we've, we've had so much fun having you guys on, having American Scouser on for this first part. That executive producer has made a decision that only an executive producer can make. He's decided that you guys are coming back for a part two because part one, it, it was really good. We definitely didn't get to the transfers out and what Liverpool could do next. So we're keen to get your guys' opinion on that. So for our listeners at Tad Predictable, listen to part one. Look out for part two. Um, in the meantime, go visit www.americanscouser.com. Go visit and follow at Scouser US. I will do full plugs um, with regards to my side of things in part two, but definitely for part one, we thought we'd get those out. Have a listen to this one. Look out for the next one and see you on the next one. Saka, 2-0. Jesse Lingard, oh, something finished. The champions of 2021 are Manchester City. Sports Social Podcast Network.